Hello and welcome to Reanimated, ladies and gents. This is Stuart, uh, your California host. Today I'm joined by New York host H.A. Conrad from Brooklyn. Hello. Hello, hello. Also joining us from Seattle, Kyle Diaz. Good morning. Good morning, sir. How you doing? All right. Uh, today we are going to be closing the coffin lid on Midnight Mass. And uh, but before we can get to that, for those final two episodes, we will be talking a little bit about the news. There isn't a lot um, these days. It, the news is almost always like Disney's zombies musical and Call of Duty right. zombie DLCs. And honestly, yeah, I just I, I can't I don't have it in me. Uh, but we did have a, a little bit of news that probably came as no surprise to our resident sage, H.A. Uh, Conrad, who can typically see a little bit of the future. And that is uh, Marvel Zombies getting its own spinoff. Yep. I mean, there's zero details other than that this no. is happening. It's going to be a thing. Also, Agatha Harkness is getting her own spinoff. And that, I think, is also pretty cool. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. I'm excited about this. Um, I haven't. I'll admit I, I didn't see all the announcements. And I know that they made announcements about several different shows. So I, I totally missed that they did this uh, until you threw it into the news items <laughs> so um i heard it like i got an alert but i just didn't focus on it um but i'm excited this is going to be i think it's it's going to be good so i i personally enjoyed uh the little the animated uh episode that we saw um i thought that that was fun so we'll have to see what what this brings down the road when more details become available coincidentally i was on the episode with you guys where we covered i know mm-hmm. the short and my uh, i really enjoyed it we talked about how good it was, and yet my reaction to this is kind of like, huh, uh, I'm not excited <laughs> for this at all. So, um, I mean, Kyle, maybe there, me wrong. <laughs> Kyle, there are no coincidences. Don't you know this by now? <laughs> I, I'm curious um, if they're going to pick up from where that story potentially ended or if they're just going to start fresh with the uh, or. Yeah, it'll be I think they could do it. I think they could do it either way and it'd be fine. Um, that's the kind of. You know, I mean, that's nice part of this kind of project, right? That one shot episode also played very fast and loose with murdering off lots of people, lots yeah. of characters. And I don't think so they if made... they want a series, they can't kill it quite as many people that fast. Right. right. But yeah. on the other hand, um, you know, you can bring back your voice cast for a 20 minute episode. But if you're going to do this as a real series, how many of those folks are you going to want to pay? Yeah. Right. Um, you know, probably be a couple of the big stars and then that uh, impressionist for the rest of the folks. And they didn't always hit, hit it right on. Right. Like uh, the Jeremy Renner uh, um, impersonator was, was not as, uh, and the Chris Evans, neither of those really, really rang. Yeah. And of course, um, Chadwick Boseman is uh, unavailable. Rest in peace. Yeah. Okay, well, let's see what happens. I mean, it's it's probably it's going to be animated. Those can take a long time in production too. Um, yeah, that's true. But with the uh, with the might of Disney at their back, I'm sure they can work some miracles. So, I mean, that's the news. Let's uh, we, we we yeah. Well, and I think you know, there's a there's a couple other tidbits out there, but because of you know the fact that we're trying to cover these two episodes, I think it makes sense to to hop in. Yeah, these are busy. Um, and yeah. this, this show has been taking us a little bit longer to, to talk through. Uh, the first one we're talking about is episode six. It's called Acts of the Apostles. It picks up right after um, Riley has uh, turned into ash and blown away on the wind. And um, 
what's Aaron going to do now is kind of the question this makes me ask. Right. And I mean, she's she's okay. I mean, despite the fact that this smoldering thing happened in the boat, she's fine. She's she's rowing back in. <laughs> she kind of um, just moves over to his 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 seat and like brushes him away. Yeah. <laughs> it's takes like the oars. Perfunctory <laughs> little housekeeping and then we're fine. Um and you know, I it doesn't shock me. I think it makes sense to what she basically does is um, you know, she goes and, and tries to talk to Sarah. Um, and I like the fact that this is like Sarah is, I don't want to say that she's a skeptic, but we do know that she's not been taking the wine at church and probably Aaron's aware of that. And given some of the connections, uh, that are there, I, it makes sense to me that this is who she decides to, to go to. Yeah. Um, we get our first monologue of the episode, uh, thanks to this visit in the form of Ignaz Semmelweis. Mm-hmm. Semmelweis, the Hungarian doctor who believed in washing hands, and it's oh yeah, this this went on again. Like, look, I appreciate this here and there. I do think that this is the one um, sort of Mike Flanagan overindulgence that tends to happen a lot, and this is yeah. This episode has several that are several. notably bad, especially as the pace of the action is picking up and so like you're just like what are you doing <laughs> stop, right stop just talking and go do something and you know and to me like the, again to me it's it's lazy storytelling um because it's trying to do something um that you are not apparently or able or willing to do with other tools and so to me it's very lazy um and it's sort of like if it were a book it would be edited out um so I don't like, so it really bothers me, but it is what it is. Um, I don't know that it's, I wouldn't characterize it as lazy. If anything, it's trying too hard. You know, it's like not, it's, it's telling instead of showing a lot of the time. So it's, to me, it's lazy because it's trying to build something into the characters or interaction with the characters that is unrealistic. And you're just using the words as a way to, to, you know, cheat basically to give your audience some information that you're not able to get to, to quote unquote show them yeah. so to me it is lazy but you know we can agree to disagree that's fine oh we, um, we do on occasion we do but in in this case i like i don't know like if you would cut so many of the words out of this monologue that sarah does um which is basically you know it, it's trying to build this level of like you know Aaron thinks that she's telling Sarah something that's totally unbelievable. She's gone to her because, you know, this is the person who was with her when she discovered her pregnancy was gone. Um, And I think has some idea that at least Sarah will have uh, from a scientific point of view, from a doctor's point of view, some sort of knowledge, or at least she won't sort of out of hand say she's crazy, hopefully. Um, But really what struck me about this is like, I think you could probably get there without this crazy monologue, this crazy long monologue, um, because Sarah, Sarah's big reveal at the end, you know, she can talk about how her mom is miraculously healed, which she does. She can talk about all the stuff and and then the blood. And like, you could have gotten there, I think, a lot more quickly um, than they did and would have been just as effective. I don't know Aaron, how- Aaron, Aaron could have shown up and been like some crazy shit's going down and Sarah could have been like, I know and push the vial of blood into the sunlight and then 
right. you, you would have accomplished exactly the same thing. That Kyle, I feel so like, Kyle, you've taken some film writing or film classes, right, when you were an undergrad. And mm-hmm. um, do you know what, like, the, the translation is from monologues of this length to script, to pages of script uh, and lines that the actors are getting handed to, like, memorize? Uh I'm not sure I understand the question. Like, so you're, you're yeah, the actor, uh, Annabeth Gish, is given how many pages of dialogue to memorize to, to do this monologue, right? Oh, like, this monologue is like probably a page and a half of, of typed script. Which I, it, I don't which know. Which is a, a lot. Yeah, it that feels is a it's lot. A, it's an extremely large amount. And, and I wonder, <laughs> you know, behind the scenes, if actors get this and they're like, awesome, I like, I'm going to shine in the scene, or if they're like, oh my God, how am I going to remember this? No, so. I, I don't think they have any problem memorizing it. I think they, and, you know, everybody loves the chance to sink your teeth into something meaty. I just think in this instance, like the, the reveals aren't keeping up with the pace. Like we just saw somebody like literally burned to death. We're not impressed by the, blood like in the sunlight. blood anymore you know what i mean like we <laughs> yeah. got to move past this we, the, the pace is picking up here at the end of the show so yeah um, and i mean i feel like it's enough to basically show show aaron mildred who is now like in her looks like she's in her 20s um and show say oh i believe you and this is why and you could move on and that would have been to me a much better use i don't know use yeah. of it but um and then it, it you know these these three women are now allied as believers and they are some of the few people on the island that know what's actually happening um i think you have some people that have suspicions but these three now know um, sarah presents her thesis that for people who've been taking communion including Aaron and um, probably, yeah, I guess Mildred too, if they don't die by, uh, you know, it, before too much time has elapsed, their bodies might reject the mm-hmm. vampiric blood and, and they can still be normal. And that's kind of like the, yeah, the get out of jail free card that only one or two people on this show managed to take advantage yeah. of, but still that's the, uh, that's the get out of jail. So uh, I'm glad that they also laid that out during this um these these couple of scenes we've also seen father hill paul pruitt monsignor john uh and he's on the (laughs) steps of the rectory and can somehow sense that riley's gone and she's talking he's talking to bev and bev comes up and spits some garbage venom at him about how how riley is judas and he was one of the apostles too and he turned his back and she's always got an answer and i yeah Still waiting for someone to punch her in the face. Uh, yep. But yeah, so there's a like this is kind of a turning point, I feel like, for Paul Hill, uh, where the balance of their relationship, well, it's always been a little bit questionable, I guess, but Bev certainly feels like she has the upper hand over him more often than not. And then, you know, and they're also coming up with their their whole plan um, in terms of their communion and all that. And um I feel like, do you feel like in this particular scene between them that the balance is starting to shift a little bit in the power? It feels like that a little bit. Um, he's yeah. kind of like, eh, you got to break some eggs to make an omelet. And she's like, I told you so. And all the, I don't know. They're, she is incredible. As I've said before, th- this woman, th- this actor who plays Bev is incredibly good at what she does. Um, and she continues like throughout this episode and the next episode but throughout the series she just keeps sort of doubling down on her level of unlikability which i just didn't think was possible 
but she does it. Um, and so it's really, uh, to me, it's an incredible performance. I think uh, the whole cast is is really strong, but her character especially and her performance is, is noteworthy, in my opinion. Ed Flynn also uh, arrives at the rectory with the letters that uh, Riley has left on their beds. And um, we talked about this a little bit last time, uh, you and I, Kyle. So uh, yeah, so Ed, <laughs> Ed arrives with those letters and, and is not giving his uh, son the benefit of the doubt, even though Father Father Paul is like you should think you should assume the best of your son, even mm-hmm. though he's the guy who uh, who basically had him killed or you know or at least was complicit. I thought that was some well, um, grade A uh, hypo- hypocrisy coming from Father Paul. Yeah, um, I also think that you know it's it just putting yourself in it in his father in Riley's dad's shoes. Like he gets these letters, they sound absolutely nuts, right? Like he, you really would think that your loved one was having a mental breakdown. Um, it makes sense that he would go to Father Paul, both because he's got a letter for Father Pruitt, so he doesn't yet know that they're the same person. He really is going to him for for counsel, and so it's like this very icky thing, but also it serves a purpose because he delivers the the letter to Father Pruitt to him, um, and you know. It's it's a nice little like knife in the ribs to to Father Paul from from Riley post post implosion or explosion, uh, post immolation, and it's basically like a little ashes to ashes, and um, that's or wait, it was like to, to dust from, we shall yeah. return, right? Yeah. Um, and you know, there's again, I think Hamish Linklater is just an even his face in this scene is just it just speaks so much because he knows he's being hypocritical <laughs> and he knows that he's like and there is a moment where i think i don't know how you two felt but i thought oh is he gonna just dist- is he gonna kill riley's dad right here now because it almost felt like it felt a little threatening to me um but he just kind of lets him go which there there is a moment of tension there at least there was on my end of things cuz you know people don't have the best of luck coming to to father paul for counsel um so you know and for comfort it certainly doesn't always pay off if you, especially, especially it's after his, dark <laughs> especially not in his little rectory or or whatever yeah. you call the the house that he lives in yeah right also when when ed Flynn had entered the rectory it was full right the, the cabal mm-hmm. was in there and dolly was crying and i'm wondering this I actually like because I'm like, what mm-hmm. were they just talking about? Uh, I assume it was like the plan for tonight, which yeah. is Eastern night, right? So they, mm-hmm. they must have been talking about like cutting the power and doing all the things that they do later on in this episode. Um, and it's curious that that Dolly is is uh, actually upset. Well, and I, I mean, did they reveal? I guess my, I think probably they must have. Um, I think they had to reveal their ultimate plan for the congregation, which is, you know, terrifying if you hear this i mean Mm -hmm. this is some very much like this is some culty stuff happening right and if you're somebody like her who has seen what happened with your daughter and you do believe that but it's it's another step another big step to get to where they want to go with this congregation um and I, I could imagine people having very conflicting feelings about this and it being very disturbing and upsetting um, and you know, but Ed's sort of, I don't know, even Ed's reaction to this is really like, Oh, I'm sorry. I interrupted you. And, and, you know, and they kind of like father Paul disperses them pretty quickly, but it's, it was a good moment. And I, you know, there wasn't a monologue that they had to do to show what had happened. I think we all can surmise that. So. 
it's it was a good example. Here. It's interesting here, you know, just to kind of build on that a little bit. The so the plan is that they're going to uh, essentially kind of Jonestown massacre style yep. murder everybody in the congregation to have them resurrect as as vampires. Mm-hmm. And I think the show is trying to do something a little bit tricky here and also a little bit in the next episode, which we'll get to at some point, which is it's trying to show a group of people who are in the grips of a religious mania that is so strong that they are not acting rationally. Mm-hmm. But we as viewers dislike when people don't act rationally. <laughs> right. So I'm kind of like, like, was this part of Father Paul's original plan or was his original plan just to feed the live people the blood in perpetuity to make them feel, you know, young and kind of spry again? And kind of what is the, mm-hmm. what is the religious or, or, or like what, what is their motivation for wanting to actually vampirize everyone? Because I feel like until he actually died, even Father Paul didn't quite understand the mechanics or the um Mm. or the you you know the benefits if you want to call it that of being all vampire-y and so I'm just I'm just I'm I'm not sure that they quite lay the groundwork for this plan well enough because I'm a little bit confused about how they arrived at at this course of action well so I think that this was Bev's influence I don't mm-hmm. think that was originally Father Paul's idea. I think he probably did think he would just, maybe he didn't have a full end plan, but I I mean, given the benefits that the blood has had, it doesn't seem like there should be a reason for things being more drastic, but it's really Bev that's been pushing him and she's the one who said, oh, you should share your gift with everybody. It's Easter. It's the time for resurrection. So I feel like he is and that's what I was talking sort of about, like the power shift a little bit. Yeah. Um, she, you know, she's like, we, because this is, and we've seen it just even in the the school board meet or the school board meeting or whatever it was, um, that she is definitely deep in this fervor and she wants the gift clearly. Um, so this I think is her way of getting it, but also her way of influencing and, and having sort of putting her thumb on the scale, um with father paul um and then by the things that happen with riley she's kind of like oh see this is what happens when you make the decisions or when you do it this way so now we can have our whole congregation um and she's also got that other that other piece of things which it's like if you're not part of the congregation or if you're not a true believer if you're she's got a lot of judgment going on and a lot where she's like everybody else outside of this needs to be punished so you know, we should all be a part of this and be as one, no matter what way we need to get there. Um, and so the whole Jonestown idea, I mean, I think she has to have had more influence. I agree with you. I don't know that they laid it out well enough because I would like to see a little bit more about how Father Paul is on board with this because it doesn't, it seems like there's a little piece missing. We do also um, still need to understand why or how Father Paul died. Like it's right. not explained, Kyle. I think you're th- you have the theory that maybe he was poisoned by Bev, but I don't know that this, the show has put in the groundwork to suggest that she would have tried to kill him. Oh, I think, I think he definitely. I think, I think he was poisoned by her. Yeah, 
I, um, I just don't think that the show has really put in the effort to show that she was trying to get him killed. And she's still until one of the last scenes of the show uh, is basically like, you have to be our leader, even though she's trying to lead from the, from the rear. So I don't know. I don't know. Like, it, it, I feel like it was either like he OD'd on vampire blood after enough time had passed or something, but yeah, he went, obviously when he dies, that, that starts the, that's also one of these catalysts for, Oh, now it's everlasting life. It's not just gifts. Hmm. Yeah. It's also it's not, it's not just youthfulness. It's actually resurrection. That's true. And then maybe with, uh, I don't know, again, with her influence, he's, and he's altered. He's definitely altered after he comes back. Um, oh yeah, he is like in, in, a, in many ways. And he's not the same person he's altered um, but he's also not like within 30 seconds of coming back bloodthirsty and trying to murder every no, every warm-blooded no. thing that comes into his sphere because he comes back in a room full right. of people and they look after him all night even right. though they they do talk about keeping their distance and i think you know it's, it's important to keep that in mind when we look at the end of this episode and the and the one the one that comes after it is there's a little bit of continuity going on here and some yeah. of it can be explained away with oh personality like you know right. ed ed and annie flynn also you know ha have like the self-control mm -hmm. and maybe maybe we're supposed to believe that uh john pruitt also has this level of self-control due to his morality um riley obviously never never took uh well he did drink out of sturge's blood cup but um mm -hmm. that was when he was a very baby vampire well uh, he so did have he must have had some control because we do see him sort of mm -hmm. like have have some hunger pains before he takes Aaron out into the boat so and we know that standing he's... over his family's beds yep. and yep. and clearly clearly the next night there are people who have zero control right and uh, well, we hear about it and then the other but the other thing is and this is the part where again I can't <laughs> this is this is the hard part for me to make the leap like so Paul, father paul and obviously bev and others know about this level of hunger that these that these vampires have and so their big plan about converting this whole room of people seems to be a little bit short-sighted in that like what do you do with this many people that have that level of hunger like it to me it seems like this would have been kind of pre predictable that this would have happened in this way my yeah, well, like, we're, let's we're wait gonna, until we get to that episode, yeah. though, because right, yeah, right. we, we should talk about that. But well, that's um, within this episode. No, but... it's it, well, yeah, it is. But so the next one, uh, sorry, the next scene after the uh, Ed Flynn delivers the letters is Aaron goes to visit Annie Flynn and uh, is like, yeah. hey, um, come with me to the mainland. And also Riley's dead. And uh, yeah. it's kind of comical how this scene unfolds. It's not supposed mm. to be, but maybe that's a trend also here um, yeah. where Annie's reaction is um <laughs> well, I like mean, no look, we can't we can't come with you to the mainland what an odd request and then mm -hmm. uh be quiet that's not funny and get out even though they're standing on the street well i mean i think that this is makes sense the the level of denial um and you look i think she does know um given the letters that they have gotten i think that probably she does know um and she's just pretty I would say in denial and heartbroken at the same time. Um, I think her husband probably is a little bit further there, but she's always been the one who has been Riley's staunch supporter, no matter what he's done. Um, but she's also been the one with like that weird, just, I don't want to say like forced cheerfulness or, but 
but she's had faith and I'm being a little bit cynical here, but you know, Ed always talks about how she is like a saint. And um, Mm -hmm. so I can see in this initial moment, I think Aaron's delivery to her with this news could have been better (laughs) too. So like me, maybe you don't get into this about Riley. Maybe you make up a story that Riley is on the mainland to get them away. I don't know. Um, Rather than hit her over the head with this info. I don't know. Um, What do you think, Kyle? Yeah, I think so. Uh, <laughs> I th- I think that um, they've kind of missed a little bit of an opportunity here that we'll kind of talk about a little bit later where Riley's parents in the last episode are shown to have a very strong moral compass and are kind of some of the only decent people as the mm-hmm. town descends into anarchy. And mm-hmm. I am not certain that that groundwork has been really laid by the show because they agreed been kind of yep. a huge bummer for most of the show. They have not really accepted Riley. They've assumed the worst of him at mm-hmm. every single moment. Um, and then they, you know, they've, they've been tr- truly horrible in this particular instance to, to Aaron. So uh, we're, we're getting a little bit of a redemption for them next episode, but I was kind of like, really, these are the these are the folks who have the moral fortitude to withstand this because so far they've just been really unforgiving and mm-hmm. and uh, uncharitable folks. So, yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, the the following scene is Sarah goes to the sheriff, and we uh, Kyle we talked about this last episode <laughs> we too because we, <laughs> we 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 thought we might be getting to this episode in our review, but we we didn't. But this was the second very lengthy monologue of the episode, and this one makes less sense than uh, Ignaz Semmelweis. At least that one was like tangentially connected. Uh, this um, one is is um, <laughs> Sheriff Hassan's backstory about nine eleven and why he joined the police and xenophobia. Uh, when he's just been told that the blood is burning. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, I didn't chat about this cause I had had to hop off or something, but um, this is, I think this might, I, there's a few to choose from, but I think this is my least favorite monologue and um, makes the least amount of sense. And I don't like how it, to me, it's very ham handed um, in how it's trying to put this idea across and it doesn't fit in at all, um, or at the least five to me, minute, it, five minute monologue also, which to me is just woof, that's too much. Right. Um, and it just seems really forced, really forced. And to use your words of earlier, like just trying way too hard um, to get this thing wedged in there about, you know, who the sheriff is and what he's contended with. And again, I think that we already know some of these things and some of the things that he has been dealing with on this island without doing this scene. Or if you are going to have him do a monologue scene, I don't know. Like, it just felt like because he did a little bit of one with his son about um, his wife and losing her. Um, I don't know. This felt really this to me was like the worst one out of the entire series. But I don't know. What do you, I, what do you think, Kyle? I agree with that. And I also think, you know, we talked in my first appearance on the show about how this uh, show has like both the best and the worst of, of um, Mike Flanagan's writing and directing and about how there's stuff here that I love so much. And in this episode, there is stuff that is coming and we're going to, we're going to, 
we're going to get there where I'm going to stop complaining and start, you know, fawning because I just think it's so awesome and well visualized. But uh, first we have to get through this like stupid stuff. And this scene just drives me totally batty. I'm like, same, like, like the, the sheriff should know that some weird shit is happening. Uh, he's got like now, like as Stuart and I discussed last week, like eight missing people. Mm-hmm. He has a very rational person showing up in his office to tell him something fantastical, which by the way, maybe bring some of the blood with you doctor. So, or your mom. Right. So, so you so have you some show him. Yeah. And then he just starts spouting off this completely tangential and unrelated monologue in a way that, that is just, it is it is totally counter to the rhythm that the episode is trying to build heading into Easter night. It makes the sheriff seem like an unemotional lump who is trying as hard as he can to not do his job at any particular moment in time. It, it's a it's a it is a total waste of of six minutes of time and well and, and i will also cut. say i will also say i love rahul kohli i don't think that this is on him i think it's on the dialogue on the the written yeah. on the script um and i do think that he delivers this as well as he can it just doesn't make sense no um it and yeah, it just to that to that point he like his capstone argument is oh and this is secondhand information from riley and riley is unreliable I'm like, where are you getting? You don't, you met this guy like two days ago. You don't even know this guy. <laughs> but also, as as Kyle just pointed out, he knows he's got lots of people missing. He knows that yeah. as a solid fact. So whether you think that this is true or not because of the source of Riley, I completely agree. Why didn't you bring some of the blood to show him what's what? Because that's a pretty easy or your mom who looks like she just, you know, like rolled out of bed and got, you know, a blowout or something and. Like she looks like she she's back in like teenage years. Um, and, you know, like th- these are specific pieces of evidence where if you're trying to get this guy to help you and get him on board, those are the quickest ways to do it. Um, and then maybe he wouldn't have to have this weird monologue. Um, but anyway, that was, you know, and I I also will support what you had said, Kyle, which is that. There's some really great things. And again, this is this is sort of the weird thing about this particular series is that there there's some things in this episode and the next one that are done so well. Um, and this is just the last of well, I'm, I won't complain. I, I'll stop complaining. But that yeah, was, this is probably the last bad monologue, right? Yeah, I think there's true. a couple others, but this is probably the worst, the the last of the worst. Of the them, last of the worst, which is such high praise. Um, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so next, next up comes the uh, our trio of badass ladies, Sarah, Aaron, and Mil- Millie, trying to get off the island on a ferry because the, they're like, yeah, I think we're supposed to leave, uh, but all the ferries are gone, or at least the bell doesn't show up, and then they see Sturge, and he's like taking <laughs> actively taking pieces of engines out of boats. Well, I do think that their interactions are hilarious here because they're trying to be like, you know, like they're trying not to to tip anybody off about what they're up to, but they're asking very specific questions. So I thought that this dynamic and Sturge isn't the most sophisticated of characters. So this was kind of a fun interaction. And I did like this setting the table in terms of what was going on on the island. Um, So I thought that that was pretty cool. Um, Yeah, Uh, it's a quick scene, but it uh, obviously like 
the 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 stakes have just gone up quite significantly. Uh, and then the following scene is Sheriff is working on Riley's missing persons report. And then suddenly the power goes out. And uh, we've had a scene that sets this up in the storm that was in episode one. The Sheriff and Sturge talk about power on the island and Sturge is that go-to guy, which is a problem. Mm-hmm. You got to have you got to have backups to your maintenance guy, it turns out. Uh, he's turned off the power. He took out the breakers. He's with mm-hmm. Wade. Um, and then they're also talking about when to cut the mobile the, the cell tower power or network. And they're, they're, they're yeah. like talking about how to trick the sheriff into uh, complacency. It's, it's also premeditated, um, which is obviously why they were at the rectory earlier having their tete-a-tete, but it's just, this is a, this is a dastardly plan and they are, mm-hmm. and on some level, uh, on every level, I'm like, so, you know, this great miracle that you're looking at, that you're looking at doing, not only is it like, they know they're going into a Jonestown scenario and they're cutting the power and, and they're cutting the cell and they have no problem with this and they're not turned. Like they don't have this amorality that father Hill is blessed with through mm-hmm. the change. Like it's, it is, it is kind of like a a mental leap. That's kind of difficult to comprehend. Yeah. But not if you think about it in terms of, of religion or other things, like they're deep into it at this point. Um, they have seen enough and seen what his transformation and they've processed it in the way that their religion or like that, that, that they've they basically processed it and defined it in the terms that father Pruitt has given to them. And even though it's scary, that's where they feel like they are righteous and coming at this from, you know, they, Hey, this is, this is what we do as the congregation. This is what we've been trying to get to. Um, so I think that they are basically just, they're not as strong personalities as Bev, certainly. The, I'm, I'm kind of taking her out of the followers because she's kind of a different animal entirely here. But, you know, Dolly and the mayor, like they feel like they owe something or like they're that something's going to be rewarded. Like their daughter was healed. So now maybe this is the next step. Um, so that makes some sense to me. And I, even if it sits a little bit wrong with them, they, they feel like there's sort of a greater good that they're going to. So, and which I do think that that stuff to me is part of the better, like the commentary that this is supposed to be just about, well, so what do you believe in, when do you question it and are, you know, and that, that kind of thing and just sort of in, in this sort of culty scenario, like what makes sense, what doesn't, and what, what is going to pull you out of it um, and stand up for it. Um, I also think that they are scared to do anything. Bev's pretty scary. Um, and father Paul, despite the fact that they are sort of doing what he says and whatever, there's definitely a level of fear there of fear of him. So I don't think it's know. physical fear if it is fear. I mean, Bev did when she was telling them to throw Joe Colley's body overboard. Uh, she was just quoting scripture at them. So yep. I think they they are scared, but it's like spiritually like they're worried that, that they could get frozen out by. Yeah, yeah. No, like, definitely. Uh, but yeah, it's messed up. Um, the next scene we have is uh, Millie, Sarah and Aaron again are just like, oh, God, we're fucked. Um, yep. It's 30 miles <laughs> to anywhere. We, we can't row that far, although maybe they could. It would take a minute. Um, and Aaron decides that she's going to go to mass and, and everybody's like, what? Yep. Uh, which I thought was quite funny. 
Uh, and this is where she says this thing, which I 100% disagree with. She says, all I know is Riley sacrificed everything because I thought he thought I could help. No, he like, didn't. That is not what he said to you. That he is said, the opposite. He said, go. He said, leave. Go the other way. <laughs> so I don't know if that was written like to be like, yeah, Aaron's a little obtuse or uh, if they forgot what Riley was saying in his final scene. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, I mean, on some level, yeah, he wanted her to see what would happen to him so that she would not have to have like this slow awakening to the horrors that, that were all around her. But he, and, but he also was saying to her, you should just leave and get out of here and run away. There's nothing you can do. Uh, Of course her staying and either mistakenly or on purpose coming to this realization that she can maybe help uh, it, 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 pays off because in the next episode their realization about the fishing boats and and like mm-hmm. plan phase two or whatever is a serious thing to have to consider and if they had run obviously the uh this would become the strain pretty quickly yeah um and i also think that there was you know there was the interaction between uh the sheriff and his son where his son mm-hmm. is like you know, there there is this tension building, which I think is really great here, where finally the sheriff is just like begging his son not to go to this thing, because I think despite his monologue, he does at least think something is up enough that, you know, he doesn't really want his son anywhere near that. Um, and he's, his son is like, oh, but there's going to be another miracle. Don't you want to see that? <laughs> and, you know, there's it's an interesting dynamic because you've got Aaron and you've got the sheriff and you've got. Uh, people going to this thing that are like terrified for obvious reasons, um, both for their loved ones, but also for, you know, just in general, because this is a scary thing. Um, But you've got the sort of like the walk to the church, like the gathering of everybody. Um, The only thing I, I don't know if both of you, like, cause I watched this, like I watched this twice. um, And I guess I just didn't have a sense of how many people are actually on the island and how people are going to church and not. And it always felt like most people were going to the church other than like the sheriff and maybe a couple of others. Um, But they do sort of make a point about who's sort of gathering and there's certain people left behind. Although I don't think that was as overt that there was people not going to this thing. Yeah. I, um, uh, until the next episode, I was kind of under the impression that everybody had gone to the mass. Yeah. Uh, and so then I, suddenly, me too, suddenly there's, so there were a lot of, yeah. a lot of surprise people that right? pop up in the next episode where I'm like, where'd you come from? And here? it felt like there were more people on the Island than we'd kind of been seeing or here. I don't know. It was just odd, but anyway, well, it, the frustrating thing about that too, is that it like it, it raises the stakes dramatically. And so I would have liked to know it. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like basically like the fact that there are other people here who are, who have not been again. We And I think even in an earlier episode discussion, we were kind of like, okay, who on the Island hasn't been taking communion? These four people. And it turns out, no, it's actually like there's an additional 60 folks out there walking around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are in danger. Here. And some people have apparently been taking communion and we had no idea. I'm looking at you, Ali. Yeah. Like, because wouldn't that have been something to show? Because there was that's even a, a pretty... scene, but I mean, I, I know I'm getting a little ahead, but there's even a scene with him and his dad. And his, he's like, Don't worry, dad, I'm not going to take communion. And his dad goes, I know they wouldn't let you because you're not a Christian. And I'm like, Yes. When did they start being like, Oh, yeah, uh, you've never be, been confirmed or any of those other things you have to do? I forget what they all are in Catholicism to to take communion. Don't worry, it's fine. I mean, I can see why Father Paul might do that, but it doesn't make sense in the context of where they're doing this and 
church. Well, and it would have made sense if they had actually shown it and also shown that they're not sort of adhering to what he is supposed to be doing because he would have had to do baptism, communion, all um, those things. Yeah, you have to do communion to take communion. Um, I mean, you, you, you don't... could have had a scene where like Ali snuck around the back, you know, and and because he was so desperate to to do this with Warren and Uker, out. maybe like they were like, hey, yeah, yeah exactly. You could yeah. have totally shown it that way too. So that was that definitely weird. Yeah. Given, especially given the next scene. You know, cut um, cut four minutes out of the sheriff's monologue and and use that time to <laughs> give Ali some communion wine. Right. Um, but I did like, despite the fact that it does seem like the whole island is in this procession. Um, I did like that lead up. It was creepy, um, given the context and. I thought that the tension that they built, especially when Aaron goes out to join them, uh, is kind of cool. Um, and so I, th- I think I thought those, that- those overhead shots were CG or, or real uh, drone shots. Um, I, I don't know. Because it was a little hard to tell because there wasn't a lot of movement on the screen, but it, it did look very pretty. Uh, there was just know. like those overhead shots, one or two of the, of the candles moving through the town. I thought that was looking... I think those were probably drones, although I think we're approaching some CG island shots in yep. the next episode. Um, so then, you know, we get to the the big money scene in the church. Um, so that, big money. you know, big money, big money. Um, the sheriff is in church. I, I was surprised to see that. I also was surprised that there wouldn't be more of a reaction that he was there. There's a little bit of a reaction, but given, you know, his interactions with some of this community, I mean... I almost feel like Bev would have tried to have kicked him out or something. I don't know. Um, so I just thought it was odd that he was there uh, or that his presence there wasn't causing more of a stir. Um, and we but, have Pruitt uh, arrive for, for mass and his big reveal. I've lied to you all. I didn't replace Pruitt. He's fine. It's a me. I'm Pruitt. <laughs> uh, and the kind of, I don't know. There wasn't too much of a reaction there, but he tells his road on Damascus road to Damascus story again. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> I had to die, but just a little bit um, like all of this is, it's a very funny buildup to me. And then you've got Sturge like kneeling in front of the altar uh, before actually what I consider to be the biggest reveal is when Bev goes in the back and it's just yeah, Jonestown mm-hmm. and at 1080 everywhere. And you're like, Oh God, I can't believe they're doing this. Just based on, especially since he's been such a skeptic so far, just based on the sermon itself, um, I love having the sheriff there because I love the idea that this is his first experience in a Catholic church and he must just be like, what the fuck is <laughs> going on in here? <laughs> like, until, until things actually get actively supernatural, he must just be like, what are these people talking and, about? And it's, it, his face is incredible during this. Um, but I also think that the Flynn, like like the Flynn parents um, are also just, they have these looks of horror on their face. And maybe it's because now it is like some of the stuff Riley wrote to them. We don't know exactly what he wrote in his letters, but now Ed had had this interaction with the father and now knows he is Father Pruitt. Like there is definitely, there their, their faces are incredible here. So you've got hmm. the skeptics in the crowd and also Aaron and Sarah and Mildred who know what's happening. Um, so I thought that there, that was like great, um, just a really great contradiction because you, they have not heard this for the first time. This is 
um, something that they all have some knowledge of, but the whole con- the rest of the congregation doesn't other than to know about the miracle. So then to hear this for the first time, it's it's just like a very weird room to be in. Yeah. <laughs> and then to realize what they're doing, um, I kind of feel, I don't know, given that they're a little bit surprised at it, um, I feel like more people might have run at this point. Yeah, more than know. just the sheriff. Like that that does seem a little far fetched because this is already like uh the uh, the core congregation plus a lot of extras. Mm-hmm. Um so there there might have been a couple of other people who were like nope, like that mom with the two really little kids maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, like I could see I think there's a lot of I think there's a lot of people who are just still confused about what's even happening. Yeah, They're confused, when somebody drinks but- the drink and then falls and then like you know, goes into seizures and collapses, you're not going to be like, yeah, this isn't my scene. I don't know. And even if you didn't at that point, then when you see them bringing out trays, Mm -hmm. I don't know that if like, I agree, like, I feel like it would have made more sense to have at least some people leaving. Um, But anyway, that's, but the, I will say that the, the lighting of this scene, the way they play the shock of like play off the shock of the congregation about how they're, processing what happens there's a lot of confusion and they are taking advantage of that or bevan father pruitt to some extent um and you know it kind of strikes strikes me just like even showing them what happens like sturge is like not psyched to be drinking that poison right i thought he was pretty willing he gives he has a couple of side eye looks which are pretty funny um uh, but like obviously there's another huge reveal here when the sheriff starts to leave with ali and ali mm-hmm. is uh not having it and there's the angel standing in the back of the church too yeah um that's that's pretty big time and that's when everybody's like oh my oh my goodness that is a yep. that is maybe an angel maybe it's something really scary but the angel has such like theatrical timing also the way it moves yeah. and puts its wings out or I shouldn't call it the angel. It's just the big old granddaddy vampire. And so he's he's playing along. Mm-hmm. It's kind of interesting. I love like, this. Isn't he- I love this so much. Yeah. I, I, so the 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 shot where the camera just kind of moves around the sheriff and you find the angel just standing quietly in the background waiting for his, you know, mm-hmm. the time for his grand reveal. And then he comes up to the beginning of the or to the front of the church and and stands behind Father Paul and spreads his wings and he's just such a terrifying mm-hmm. and kind of like um, incongruous uh, part of the assembly. I just absolutely love the visuals there and then equally love and I'm not being facetious here at all. I equally love the idea and I just giggle to myself at the thought of them dressing him in the chasuble. Oh yeah. Like, like, like yeah. How does, it's really unclear throughout the entire show, how much agency and logical thinking the um, vampire has left. Like, does he know, does, does he understand what they're doing here and like why they've taken the time that they've taken and he, they haven't just let him out to like vampire, you know, vampire it up. Yeah. And so I, I'm, it's really not not clear to me, but I do love the idea that they sit him down and in some sort of like telepathic language or whatever, they're like, okay, first things first, we got to put you into this, this thing. big robe. <laughs> we got to cut holes in the bag for your wings to come out. And then you'll look, just, and then you'll so look like a real boy. No, it's, yeah. it's very, it is very funny. And the idea of them dressing him or him dressing himself. Um, I do think this is also one of the things that I wish there was a little bit more of like, like, 
I also wish that there had been a dressing the angel in the chasuble scene, but also, you know, when he's running around in um, Father Pruitt's like fedora and and coat, just sort of like, hey, I'm a I'm I'm a normal guy. Or or maybe he's doing this stuff himself, you know, maybe maybe, maybe. maybe he's like just he, he's got his sewing kit out and he's like, you know, ripping some seams in the back of the chasuble to get his wings. through. I, I don't know. And looking at himself in the mirror, like I don't need to see it. I just am, you know, enjoying imagining. I just enjoy it. imagining it. <laughs> no, it is. Um, but I do feel like he has to at least know that this is whatever they're doing is to get sort of to to sort of spread the word, spread the blood, whatever they're doing, it's to, you know, it's sort of spread the virus, so to speak, or whatever he is. Um, so I think he must have some awareness to some extent that this is what they're doing, um, but they don't necessarily show that um, and show what, if what, if anything, what agency he does have. So that's kind like of there are two scenes that show this is a thinking creature, yeah. even if it's not a hundred percent. One of them is where he kind of pauses after he meets uh, Father Pruitt before deciding to yep. give him his own blood. And then this in this scene also where he's kind of stands at the, uh, above at the altar looking kind of benevolent at people. Yeah, he does. Uh, like he's playing it up. He's yeah. playing up the angel thing here. Definitely. For sure. Like he knows his role. It's, it's pretty wild. Uh, but then, so the sheriff, <laughs> they start, yeah. Sturge comes back to life. They're like, Oh, see, here it is. Uh, this is, this is going great. The organist guy, the ponytail dude is like, mm-hmm. this is my cue. I'm going to sit down and start to quietly play hymnal music. Again. Yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was a little bit like, yeah. Okay, dude. Uh, and then sheriff Hassan tries to go home uh, and take, try to take Ali Ali, is like no don't you see this is amazing and then oh what are the odds i mean i know that they've been making the sheriff a kind of a tool over the last two episodes with his various behaviors but bringing a gun yeah to church i mean he, he hasn't been believing any of the conspiracy stuff so far so what motivation does he really have for this I mean, I think for him, he's worried about his son and that's where it's coming from. And Sarah gave him some indication that there's weird stuff going on. So I think he was kind of like, I think he he knew if he was going to try to get his son out of here, he might have to resort to force. So I think that's part of it. But it still seems like a bad idea. But, you know, I think there's a there's a non zero number of people in America on any given Sunday taking their guns to church. So, you know, why shouldn't the sheriff get in on the action? Like mobsters or you feel like concealed carry people are like, yeah, yeah, like normal concealed carry people, you know, I, I don't you think? I don't know. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't go to church. I don't know if they, if church is like, cool, we're cool with guns. <laughs> I think it depends think on just cool with it, but I think there's certain people who, who are strapped all the time. Yeah. I think it depends on what part of the country you're in too. So Um, but in any case, like this whole scene, just as it plays out, just, it starts out sort of controlled chaos and then chaos just totally takes over. Yeah. Everybody Um, starts drinking after the sheriff gets tackled and and now he's on the floor, like screaming. Ali is straight up just going for the the, the magic sauce. And when he did that, I was like, oh, well, he's just murdered himself. Like mm -hmm. Ali is going to die. That's what I I thought too. Cause I didn't realize that he had. I guess. Anyway, I mean, how, how could clear. we have? There was no way for us to know other than his like insistence that church was kind of cool. Uh, there was no way for us to know that he's been taking communion like against all Catholic law. Uh, 
and, and I also so- I actually thought they were going to make a point of this. Like when he like when mm-hmm. he drank it, I'm like, oh, so this is going to be the part where he dies because he didn't actually do, you know, so I thought that that's where they were going with this. So when he resurrected, I was really honestly like, oh, I did. I miss something. And I kept trying to, like, figure out if I had missed a scene <laughs> where he was like drinking the wine. But there is no such scene. Um, and so Dolly and Wade are both drinking. Uh, and then like, as this scene goes from crazy to crazier, they're like consoling Lisa and telling her everything's going to be okay. And she's like sad, but um, obviously yeah, as things go bad and, and these baby vampires all start coming back. And like I w- we were talking about earlier, they come back and are right away trying to kill people. Like, well, okay, there's something important that happens here, which is that, um, the the thing that really triggers the chaos is that um what's it Mildred yeah. is that yep, the old yep, yeah Mildred yeah. shoots she she picks up the sheriff's gun and tries to shoot the vampire but ends up shooting Father Paul instead yeah so the kind of most uh, rigid and authoritative figure in the room is suddenly d- totally down for the count mm-hmm. um. And I think that's a big reason why the chaos breaks out the way that it is. I, I'm not sure that he could have kept a lid on it the way that that's, he thought. He yeah, could. that's kind of my, my um, I, I know that's what the show wants us to think because Bev kind of takes over and starts issuing orders after he's out. But mm-hmm. yeah, uh, like how he, he's, he doesn't rule that room. And, and, and with all those people well, coming the, back, the vampire also has a lot of authority and he, takes out yeah. Mildred, which is like a great little like, oh, man, of, that was a great um, <laughs> terrifying. Uh, this The speed of the vampire is increasingly terrifying. Um, but, you know, he, he he takes off with her and all of a sudden there's really nobody left. And I think when the folks start to resurrect, there's like, you know, kind of kind of blood everywhere. Um, and the behavior of the first couple of people who resurrect is kind of in keeping with their lack of moral fortitude throughout the mm-hmm. series and so i love and i think it's not a coincidence at all that the mayor is like the first person to just go totally off script and mm-hmm. grab somebody and start yeah. you yep. know sucking blood down we have to talk um, about this a little bit more because so yeah wade goes after a background actor this lady yeah um, and and he says it's okay don't be suspicious <laughs> And I don't know if you guys are into that uh, <laughs> meme, but I, all I can hear is John Raffio and uh, whatever that woman's name, uh, Mona Lisa, uh, doing their "Don't Be Suspicious" song from thirty uh, from Parks and Rec. Oh my god! It's uh, yeah. So I had to um, play a lot of those um, clips to myself, but I was just like, "Don't be suspicious." <laughs> but I I really think that it's the kind of thing where if all these folks were waking up in kind of a controlled way with Father Paul there being, you know, like he was with Riley being like, you know, it's okay, we're going to do this. Like, here's some, you know, donor blood for you to to slake your thirst or whatever. But instead, you know, it's just absolute pandemonium and they wake up to this pandemonium and to, you know, blood, blood flying being everywhere. And I do think that once the blood, like once father paul was shot there's blood all over the place and that probably helped feed the frenzy because even we saw with riley like when he smelled the blood like in like it was very hard for him to resist even though he was kind of trying to and that was in a very a much more controlled environment and this is like you've got a whole blood pool on the floor so um and then how this i thought that the choreography was incredible in this scene, just how it plays out. And um, I also really enjoyed Bev's 
actions and reactions in this. Um, <laughs> yeah, she's just backpedaling hard. Yep. Yeah, yep. It was pretty funny. It was all um, well so and she... good when it was like, we're going to share the miracle. And now you're like, ooh. Well, it's oops. all well and good till Sturge <laughs> is looking at you and sniffing you and looking really right. hungry at you. Yeah. Um, some Like you said about the choreography, I 100% agree. Like it was crazy, but it was every time they would switch to one of those shots, like high, the, the camera was up high above the altar looking down at the church and those like the large big picture action scenes those weren't just like th those were like all laid out like people were mm -hmm. where they were supposed to be and then then you'd cut in to like mm -hmm. the close-up action and then go back to the big picture every so often i thought that that looks really cool because uh, you and could then... you could see sarah gunning fighting someone in the aisle and ed flynn on the other side of the church fighting somebody it was, cool. it was pretty cool right and then as our group of people who were you know the only people sort of showing some kind of uh like like horror at this whole thing um like as they're fighting to get out of there um i felt like the choreography made sense as you said like everybody was in the place they were supposed to be and then you could see how they were getting to where they needed you know where they could have some breathing room i thought that that was awesome i also thought that the lighting in this it's pretty hard to pull off because it's like a lot of candles and that kind of thing but it all looked really great um and I do like the whole idea of this whole congregation, like thinking like this is supposed to be a miracle and it turns into this insane bloodbath. Um, mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it's disturbing and messed up and that's deliberate. But it, I thought it was just done extraordinarily well. Like, oh, this has gone completely off the rails and out of control. And, you know, this is the miracle. So that was that was kind of um, I, I thought that this was just an incredibly well done scene and a hard and again a hard scene to do like this and this successfully I, I, and we and i can laugh about you know nitpicky portions of it after having seen it now twice but the first time through i was just totally enthralled by this and mm -hmm. and horrified by it and you know kind of just like creeped out to my core about it and if i think if i were in charge of like putting together like a film studies curriculum or something i might show this scene back to back where the scene in the first kingsman where mm -hmm. uh, colin firth yep. just takes out an entire like kind of bloodlust crazed congregation because the visuals are kind of similar mm -hmm. but the tone and the music and the lighting and the feeling that you get from the two is just like wildly 180 degrees yep. opposite and so it's a really fun exploration of like how you know, all the elements of filmmaking can can matter when when putting a scene together. Um, so I, I think it's I went and watched that scene on YouTube after I watched this episode last night just to remind myself. And it's it's striking how similar some of the visuals are. Yeah. You know, it's so funny that you said that um, because I thought the exact same thing. Yeah, same here. <laughs> I think I think I don't know if it was on purpose, but obviously like a, a crazy fight scene in a church. It's pretty iconic. And mm. Kingsman yeah. did it first, but it was. Uh, yeah, I, I agree that this this scene definitely has those echoes. The exit of our of our team of heroes is also pretty amazing here uh, mm -hmm. when they get into the back of the church and there's Bev also hiding. Um, but, you know, Aaron points the gun at her and she's like, oh, guns don't matter anymore. You're going to buy yourself five minutes. They're like, bang. OK, we've got five minutes. I thought that yep. was incredible. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yep. So, yeah, that was that was great. Uh, that's kind of close to the end of the episode. At the end, uh, Bev wakes up, looks at, you know, do the thing where they all look at the lights and uh, 
a lot of dead looking people in the church, including a, a little girl actor. Um, and, but then everybody pretty much wakes up. You don't see Ed get up, but um, by the end of this episode, you're kind of like, well, all right, did anybody even die in there for real? It kind of feels like no, but what they did have was an extremely traumatic turning ceremony, I guess. Yep. Uh, that takes us to the end of act of the apostles. And my gosh, that, that, that was a lot. Um, and so revelation is next, which begins with uh, crickets. Uh, it's nighttime. It, the church is there. And then a lady wakes up and this is Mildred. And now she looks even younger because her hair was a little bit shot through with silver before. Uh, but now since she's now reanimating. Um, and I feel like the vampire can choose not to. I guess she was already full of vampire blood. So there, there's not a whole lot he could do to stop her from coming back in a way. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. They, they, they don't address staking or anything like that in this show. So it's no. kind of hard to tell. But she goes inside and basically starts to console Father Paul uh, because he's looking around at his church and it's just blood on the walls as you know everywhere around the church. It's messed up. Uh, but they, they, that's kind of where they stay until the end of the show. Uh, a lot of the rest of this episode is um, like we talked about, people getting pulled out of their homes, people who hadn't been at church getting, getting attacked. And, um, and then like the actions of our three adult heroes and two child heroes. We've basically got Warren, Lisa, Sarah, Aaron, Mildred, mm-hmm. and Sheriff Hassan. Yep. Is that everybody? Yeah. Oh no. So Mildred isn't with them anymore, but um, yeah, it's those three adults and those two kids and, oh, and sorry, Mrs. Flynn. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, there's a lot of very interesting scenes with, uh, I guess the first major one is when um, Bev starts throwing Molotov cocktails inside their house where they are hiding mm-hmm. and uh, Annie Flynn goes out to approach her. And this is kind of the only scene that is punching Bev in the face, but it's with words, which is appropriate. It's appropriate, but it's still not enough given <laughs> all, all to me. It's not enough given what uh, yeah. Bev has done here. Um, yeah. And so, I mean, she's basically like, you're not a good person. Somebody so, should have told you this a long time ago. I, I thought that was just nice, <laughs> nice writing right there. Yeah. Um, I do. I do love this scene from from Annie. Is that the name yeah. of Riley's? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, it, I, I love that Bev's inclination when she gets attacked for something is always just to double down on some shitty thing to say. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, the the thing where, you know, Annie is kind of like, you're a bad person. And she's like, well, you're Riley Flynn's mom. I know. Like, <laughs> that's know? the best so you can do. Kind of like, it's just like, wow, that is a really horrible thing to, to say to somebody. But Annie's, Annie's um, uh, comeback to that is, and God loves him just the same. And why does that, yeah. why does that so difficult for you to understand? And frankly, I feel like that's using Bev logic against Bev. And it does mm-hmm. seem to, and she doesn't have a comeback to that. Her comeback to that is, oh, she's stalling, go around back and, and look for the, ba- uh, look for the others. Well, another thing I was, I was kind of like, you know, like where was this acceptance of Riley when he was like, you know, alive um, and all this talk about how wonderful they think he is and that what a good person he is and all that kind of she, stuff. Was she like, was <laughs> always in his corner, even though she was super yeah. churchy. Um, it was his dad who obviously didn't want to give him the benefit. That's true. Yeah. But, um, but I thought this was, you know, this is, this is obviously extremely, um, extremely satisfying. And then, you know, she cuts her own throat and you're kind of like, well, what's that going to do? You're just going to come back. Um, and I don't understand how you've 
you know, delayed anybody with this action, but then you kind of understand that she was right when they get so seduced by the sight of her blood spilling on the ground that they have to take a few moments minutes for like, a Oh, quick, and it's, yeah, dining. they've also set up this, uh, conceit of minutes and it comes yeah. back a couple of times. They're like, what are we, what are we doing these guns and knives for? What is this going to be for? And Aaron's like, mm-hmm. it's going to buy us a couple minutes. And uh, mm-hmm. that's, that's pretty cool. Honestly, that is like a cool theme to this episode. It comes back and it makes sense. And what you just described is any understanding that what she's going to do is going to buy them minutes. Yeah. I like that. Right. And then this is the other, you know, this is going back to what we were talking about before. Um, the vampires are kind of laying siege uh, led by Bev. Like she's definitely the one that's like, okay, now everybody who hasn't taken communion blood up until this point, we weren't sure that they were other than like Sarah and a couple others. Um, they're going to go and, and kind of take out other people on the Island um, and this is sort of, you know, the a mob rule gone wild. Um, they're out of control. Um, th- this is definitely anything but control going on here. Um, and then here's where we definitely see different houses of people that apparently were not going to the church. Um, and it gets, it sort of like gets into a, a frenzy because Bev's the one that initially gives this order to burn down uh, the house that Aaron's in. She's definitely, you know, that's sort of like her deal. And um, basically this is, you know, at some, at some point they will need shelter. So she's like, okay, well you can burn down everything, but the rec center, but there's absolutely no control over anybody at this point. Right. So the reason why the show ends the way it does is because the vampires are idiots. It turns out they just don't have, they don't have what it takes upstairs to to, to weather this storm. <laughs> so, so, you know, we have that sort of that frenzy building and just see all this out of control, um, like the new baby vampires just kind of doing their thing um, with some exceptions. I mean, you, you've got Annie and Ed who are not giving in to some of these behaviors, um, which must be really hard, especially if there is the blood, if the blood is the issue and it's out there, cause there's a lot of it out there. Um, so I don't, again, I, I agree that I don't know that they laid out exactly what it takes to make that willpower be so strong for some and not others. Um, but that I felt like this, the scenes and showing what was happening and the, the horrible, uh reality of what this whole <laughs> what this mess has become i thought that was pretty well done um the scene then, of um has, the of the the escapees trying to mm-hmm. run through like the, the town square which is not the, probably the best way to to get out of there unseen and watching the big daddy vamp fly into that window and then mm-hmm. like a survivor comes running out of the house i thought this was all unfolding kind of interestingly because there are vampires just kind of wandering around there too including uker and wade um and hassan of course uses the only three bullets that he has in that <laughs> scene also yeah um, we also see that the basically the big vampire does not react to being shot. Like he's nope. been, he gets shot a lot of times in this episode, or at least three times. And every time it's just like, meh, doesn't matter. I'm going to drink some more blood. And <laughs> well, they're, cl- they're clearly setting. I think it's really more in the scene with Warren and Lisa, where they set this thing up where he, when he's drinking, he is really just focused on drinking blood and yep. doesn't like notice bad things Anything. that are happening to him, like getting shot or later on getting knifed. 
Uh, yes. So that I thought that was actually well done in this episode too. That is the showing, not telling. If he had uh, stopped and given a, a monologue about how he just really loves blood, I mean, that might have been more like Mike Flanagan from you know one episode ago. <laughs> here, here um, he, they just they're they're content to let it, the the pictures do the talking. Right. Um, and then we also have the plan of our of our heroes that are basically like, hey, you know, we also have to we have to burn the boats so that they can't bring this elsewhere. And I do think that there's a realization of all these um, all of these people that are fighting against this horrible uh, reality of this new vampirism, whatever you want to call it, um, that they are probably going to die. Um, I think that there's some effort to try to get, you know, like Lisa, Lisa and Warren, like they do try to get them to go out, but they don't really to, to sort of like wait this out um, to make it to one boat or something and, and stay offshore. But they don't know that they've made it. Um, so there's a couple of discussions about that. But I feel like all <laughs> of them realize that they're probably going to die here. Yeah, there's a lot of fatalism. I kind of like that, too. It, there mm-hmm. wasn't like yeah. a, oh, let's how are we going to survive this? It was a how do we take as many of them out with us as we can? Right. I have to say, I so again, watching it, especially the first time through, I was pretty much just totally caught up in what was happening and I wasn't thinking too hard about it. Um, coming back to the whole vampire's plan of let's burn down the rest of the buildings so that everyone will have to come to the rectory and then or the rec center and we can kind of decide who lives and who dies that whole plan feels really dumb uh, uh dumb yeah. to me and and it, it kind of like made me mad and i don't love it when people do this but i'm going to do it anyway which is basically like just rewrite the um the story to be how i think it should have been in my opinion but um, I don't understand why they didn't just throw the Molotov into the first house. And then they've talked over and over again about the winds and how the whole town is a tinderbox. Yeah. And I was like, just have that fire spread. Like, you know, there's the, that the, the, the threat of wildfire as, as Stuart knows is terrifying. And then you could have easily gotten them into some sort of situation where all the vampires are maybe up on a hill somewhere and there's fire on all sides. Mm. And that's why they, you know, have nowhere to escape to as dawn approaches or something like that. But this whole thing where they go around burning every single house is just like, it, it, it is it, again, like I said, they're trying to show some people in the grips of a religious mania so strong that they are acting in unbelievable ways. But as viewers, that's very, very difficult to accept. And so right. all that we sit here doing is being like, why are they doing such a dumb thing? And like it, 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 real people in the grip of cults do very strange and inexplicable things, but it's still frustrating as a viewer to have that be, um, you know, to have this gigantic plot hole of like, you absolutely need shelter to survive every single day. Why are you burning down all the shelter? Well, right. And then there's also the part that, you know, Bev eventually figures out that the boats are burned as well. And she's like, well, who burned the boats? And it's sort of like, well, I don't, 
I don't know that anybody would have necessarily known that it was our group that was burning the boats, uh, the the group sort of railing against them, because the whole place is on fire. Yeah. Like it is totally within the scope of reality that this group, of, like if this is how you're playing it, that this group of out of control vampires might have done it or that things could catch. Um, to your point, Kyle, I don't know that they needed to show all of this. You know, I, I, I think I again, I, I know why they did it, but I agree that it was like kind of hard to it would probably be easier to accept that some big thing that they did then spread everywhere else would make sense. Yeah, they throw they throw one Molotov cocktail into the house where the group is hiding. And then after they've done it, they're like, oh, wait a minute. Hold on. What have we done here? This could, this could get bad. Oops. And then the fire just spreads. By, that would have been that would have been satisfying. But uh, as someone yeah. who really wants Bev to get punched in the face, if there is a scene that makes her seem really dumb, I'm going to take that as like a, you know, yeah. a metaphorical <laughs> punch in the face, too. Yeah. And so I was celebrating that. I was like, oh, this is the answer. This is how we get to, you know, a win state, because mm -hmm. it's kind of hard to see one without them doing this right. to themselves, too. Um, and then we also have the scenes uh, with Father Paul and Mildred, um, which, you know, I think. <sighs> so I don't think again, and I'm not trying to be critical. I do think that this is nice because it shows some motivation and we can see a little bit more. Um, but I don't know if I fully believe the fact that his whole motivation is to come back and bring Mildred back, although maybe that's there mm. and that shows a level of weakness. Um, it did bother me a little bit that I don't know, maybe that's the point is that he was trying to say that it was for other reasons, but ultimately maybe he's confessing here that he really did all of this for selfish reasons versus um holy reasons basically whether or not we believe him it's also super major in this scene that he describes the vampire as that thing he, i brought that he thing does, back yep. here instead of calling it the angel so yep. he's like completely off the wagon with with mm -hmm. everything that's happening and i think that that was that was that was good to have it, it does it does feel like it happens quite quickly uh that he goes from you know i mean obviously he's been through some major trauma just now well but, but also it attacked mildred and he's like, oh, did it hurt <laughs> or something like that? Yeah. She's like, yeah, it did. It sure did. I don't know. <laughs> Extremely painful. <laughs> it's pretty painful. Um, so I think that, that both those things helped him sort of be come clean, basically, at least now in his own words as well. Um, but yeah, I, I did think I liked this scene between them because it's interesting how much let, like we've only seen their interactions when she you know she has dementia and sort of coming back we haven't seen them have one-on-one -on -one conversation um and you know this talks about their relationship and his whole wish where he wasn't allowed to acknowledge sarah and how he just thought he should have been brave enough to risk everything and go away. And she, she sets him straight. Cause she's like, yeah, yeah, you know, I wouldn't have done that because my husband came back from the war and he was like, this isn't, I would not have torn apart this many lives. Um, which he's always been under this assumption. I think that if he had been brave enough, his path would have been different. And she, she, basically disabuses of him disabuses him of that notion which i thought was a pretty powerful scene um especially since she was apparently his motivation for doing all this yeah yeah and and you know kind of puts 
puts lie to the entire scheme mm -hmm. you know it's like your your dreams were were foolish to begin with <laughs> she does it kindly it's a nice she, yeah. she puts him down in a nice way um uh, we also have the scene of the kids are like trying to the kids and the adults have been split up uh with the adults going around and, and burning boats the kids are just like sneaking around they've gone to joe collie's trailer they got his rifle they got some gas lisa's kind of leading Warren's a little bit like, eh, what's going on? And they end up uh, running into, of course, uh, Big Vampire's house, which is where we get the scene of her shooting him a few times as he's feeding. And he's like, whatever, mm -hmm. get out of here. And then she lights a really lovely call back here to the cave mm -hmm. where in the cave, Monsignor's got the matches. Mm -hmm. And here they've got the lighter that they're using to see yeah. the vampire feeding in the, in the corner. But the vampire doesn't have a, even have the time of day for them, which is which is luck, their lucky day, too. Uh She's just such a boss. She like just lights mm -hmm. them on fire and then they <laughs> they lose the rifle. Sturge picks it up and starts following after them. But uh, nobody's like in a hurry to get them. So like they are allowed to escape, I feel like, which was nice. And the, the big vampire is lit on fire, but I don't think is actually that hurt by that. Right. Um, and then we get to sort of the the big sort of I don't know, the big finale, basically, where we're seeing now now as as dawn approaches and there's really no place for for because we we're at this point where it's like, you know, uh, Father Pruitt discovers that Sarah and uh, Aaron are trying to burn down the rec center and the church. Um, and then Father Pruitt does have a moment with Sarah where he talks about how he's her father and they do have a really good moment together with this. And she's like, there, there's this really like, she's like, yeah, I'm trying to burn down the church. And he's like, good. Cool. Let's do it. <laughs> let's it's a little funny because he had just gotten done saying to poor Howard Hobbs, come on into St. Patrick's. All are welcome. Because um, Bev is already like turning away mm -hmm. the wrong people who were uh, or what she perceives as the wrong people were were brought back. Like this one right. guy has never been to church and he's like, I just killed all my family. And she's like, get out of here. Um, she's and like, Sturge, yeah, you could have saved them, but you didn't know. That was, that's hardcore. Yeah. And if you, yeah, that's how that, that's when you, when you see Bev's true, you know, plan coming into sharper focus yeah. here, which is, you know, essentially a religious purge mm -hmm. of the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she's already taken the reins from uh, Father Paul by the scene, too. As she has said, get thee behind me. Uh, mm -hmm. She refers to Mildred as Babylon, which I thought was a place, not a person. But I don't know my scripture that well. I think she means like whore of Babylon. Yeah. Um, but she, I don't know, she doesn't say it. Or she, I guess she does. Uh, so she, she spurns both Father Hill and Mildred. Um, and, and, and then it's like, don't worry, flock, come to me. She's laid out all these beds in the rec center. She's been busy. Uh, and she just loves that rec center. She sure does. <laughs> she sure does. Uh, and so while they're, um, yeah, they've killed, uh, Sturge kills Sarah and uh, Father Paul and Millie are like, oh, she loved that little bridge. Let's go. So they're out. We we skipped over, Sarah we skipped over did, one of the greatest yeah. moments of the, of the show, which is... Um, Sarah gets shot by Sturge and she's lying there dying on the floor and, and Mildred and oh, right. Father Paul spitting her. Yep. 
and father paul just starts cutting open his like whatever and it's like dude like you must know like you've gone through this enough times you must know this is not what she wants right and she and she's like she's like struggling but she's like spitting that blood out as quick as she can so badass she's like no let me die i don't want your like you know your your blood and and i don't want to become a vampire like you at at that moment is so badass and Mm -hmm. and true to her character i love it it's great Hassan has decided that he wants to burn down the rec center from the side of the building where the mob is. Right, this did not make any sense to me. I mean, these three have are taking a massive risk. They've gone to where the vampires all are to do this, and kind of what Bev says later, like, "Why didn't you wait till we were all asleep?" Solid point, Bev. Uh, Why, or at least at least unable to come out of the house. Right. So, I mean, they they didn't know. that all the vampires had been <laughs> called back and that like none of them were hunting anymore. Maybe the big daddy is still, but yeah, like there's a, there's a also an unintentionally comic moment where the sheriff's like, is the rec center empty? And then Aaron <laughs> green comes like wandering out backwards. backwards. She's, not even facing the and, she's not even facing the crowd. It's like, and then she's like, Oh shit. Are there 50 people behind me? And yeah, one of them yeah, has yeah. a gun and they're about to shoot me. <laughs> I yeah. don't know if it was unintent. I think it was intentionally funny, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> but it's such a weird flex for the sheriff. He's like, yeah, you think it's empty? There's another dummy here's, in there. There's the one other person comes stumbling yeah. out to get captured as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So then Aaron is getting munched on um, and taking advantage of the, the vampire's inability to do anything but feed, even like moving its head back to her neck when she yep. starts to stab its wings. And I thought that was kind of interesting. This is so wonderful and uncomfortable at the same yes, time. Yes, it's like, super uncomfortable, this whole scene. And but well done. And and again, like these characters didn't think they were getting out. So she's doing what she's got to do to kind of keep him incapacitated. But I have like so we see we see how many holes she cuts in his wings, right? And I know Mm -hmm. that it can regenerate to some extent because of the blood. So maybe it is a little bit because it's drinking from her while she's doing this. Mm -hmm. But the number of holes that I just don't think it would be able to fly at all. I don't know that it would have any lift. Um, I don't know. Like, it doesn't seem like aerodynamics would allow this to happen. (laughs) But but um but I do love it like where she's just kind of like, all right, I'm just gonna do this while it's distracted. Um, While while I am a snack. It's great. Mm -hmm. And she's got her her dual wielding kitchen knives that she's had with her for a little while now. Mm -hmm. And she's just kind of like and it it is you know, I know intellectually that this is like, you know, a piece of vinyl stretched between two pieces of pvc or something like that <laughs> um but it's it's so uncomfortable yes, to watch yes. and and makes my skin crawl and I, I i love that and i hate it at the same time yeah it, it i thought the same thing because it's like it's and the sound effects that they have with it are yeah. like really perfect and gross <laughs> and you're just like eh. you know <laughs> the fact that she's like she's doing this and it probably feels pretty icky to be doing whatever she's doing, but it's, and to have it like all feeding on her while she's doing this. So, but the, the idea of these like skin wings is really gross. Yeah. Super gross. So So we'd also had a scene earlier of, of Ollie wandering around in the streets, looking a little conflicted. I don't think we saw him going after um, people 
because Ali is one of these moral vampires too. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, you know, they double down on that one shot now by him picking up the Zippo and throwing. Mm-hmm. And and Bev calls him boy. Give that to me. I, I don't think I don't think she knew his name. No, How, this island is not that big. And then Sturge later also refers to Ucharis. Hey, kid, where they have yeah. a moment together. And I'm just like, you guys know each other. I, you guys all know I each think, other's names. I think the thing with Ali is intentional. I think Bev, yes. Bev is so racist mm-hmm. that she has in the moment that she really needs to you know persuade this person she has literally forgotten his name yeah um, and i, and I kind of love that actually <laughs> well he doesn't go for boy instead he throws the zippo into the building and then um and then that's kind of like that's the ball game uh i mean they, they, the rest of the of the show the rest of this episode is just like tying up loose ends and letting characters go out the way they want to go out or letting us all enjoy bev's trying to dig frantically into the sand um mm-hmm. that was fun for me but like that's kind of it like the sheriff and, and ali kind of limp away uh sheriff's been shot twice now one in the torso one in the leg and you know it, uh aaron has her uh flashback to the death conversation with riley with very different dialogue or, or... <laughs> one last <laughs> one last interminable monologue oh and this goes to... on so long so <laughs> before long before we get to what we all finally want which is to watch all these people go up in flames True. and specifically Bev, we have to <laughs> we have to sit through a really, really long and uh shockingly um uh uh what do you call it? Uh su- substanceless mm-hmm. monologue. Well, it's it's pretty sciencey. So yep. she's sounding a lot more like Riley than she did when they had their first conversation. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's also Flanagan being like, Well, there's the answer, everybody. Yep. Uh, you know, despite all of his knowledge of of religion, I think but, he's still but, showing okay. his cards. But I will say that one thing that did confuse me about why she was dying, because she had taken the blood. Am I like, is it just because it's been too long since she, the last time she had I communion? Th- no, I think she would have reanimated, but it, she just she was dying and they just don't okay. show her come back because I think the sun comes up. It would have been nice to see her body burn up. Or to well, see her s- sit up and then burst into yeah. flames. So yeah. anyway, just that was one piece that I was like, huh. Because they do show everybody else but her mm-hmm. kind of blow up. But That's true. Um, and Warren and Lisa are out in the canoe and they watch the big vampire start to fly away. Uh, but And they're like, oh, do you think he'll be able to make it to the mainland? And, and Warren's like, nah, he can barely fly. But then he would have dropped in the ocean and maybe would have been safe from if he I dropped mean, if, deep if, enough. If curtains are good enough, I'm sure that, yeah, a few hundred feet of water would be fine. But um, I think by what happens at the end of this episode, well, when Lisa says, I can't, I can't feel my yeah. legs, I think that is our message. That our message he's, that he's he didn't make it. Yeah. yeah. But there's they don't show it. So maybe that's leaving the door cracked just a little. Maybe. That's interesting. I didn't think of it so much as it being like an instantaneous, like, I guess like psychic, you know, transfer it to him. I, I saw it more as like, Hey, if you don't take communion for a while, you know what the doctor was saying earlier, like mm. kind of confirming that this stuff works its way out of your system because otherwise when these kids eventually die in like 60 years, like they may, re- you know, reanimate <laughs> as vampires. Yeah. Well, um, and would they, so, and they wouldn't age either. So that's also, Oh, that's true. Yeah. I, but I just she, figured it would be more than like 24 hours and she was yeah, pretty big she, into communion until yeah. this day. Yeah. That's very true. Yeah. yeah. So, 
Um, well, and then that's the whole, you know, the vampire thing. If you kill the maker, then the little acolytes come back to full human, right? Like that's Dracula. That's base. That's Tenet from the the OG vampire. Yeah. That, so. that is some, yeah, that's some regular canon. So, you know, it's, it's really just a nod to it and not an explicit sort of explanation. So mm -hmm. that's what I decided to interpret it as. Um, I really like the scene of Hassan and Ali praying yeah. at the beach and kind of goes out. Like they're the first two, I think that you see yeah. meet the sunlight and mm -hmm. Ali kind of keels over or not Ali Hassan keels over um, mid prayer. And Ali is just like, goes up in smoke and it's really tragic obviously they're dead yeah but they were i mean ali was going to be dead no matter what as soon as he drank right. that poison right and then i also did enjoy bev's last scene because it just shows <laughs> like she's like suddenly like oh i'm gonna greet this with grace no i can't do it i can't i'm gonna try to scrub around in the sand which it which actually does bring a pretty good point because again if curtains are good enough mm -hmm. it's sort of surprising to me that some of them wouldn't have dug into the beach or something there must um, be like a, a rowboat that's upside you could just get under a rowboat like, right just while the way the uh the day until i don't know i i think you could do you could do you could do anything yeah. based on how how weak the or like how direct the line of sunlight has right. to be based on prior episodes so i think they were a little unimaginative you could have you could have put a um you know, like a blanket or a bedsheet or a jacket up. There's so much smoke on the main island. Huddle underneath it. Right. Yeah. A little bit of coverage, but. Uh, you know. Yeah. But I do enjoy it. Like the overhead shots, how the island is just totally decimated, basically. Like um, earlier, like before we got to this point, they just showed basically the entire island is done. Um, so, you know, other than our two little survivors in the rowboat, like this is complete destruction of everything. Um and I, you know, and you do have like Annie and Ed with their like now remorseful people greeting the sun with some grace and they're with each other. Mm -hmm. um, so I thought that it was interesting showing the different sort of vignettes of the different people and which is why Bev's kind of stood out versus <laughs> yeah, she, the other people. She's the only one who who doesn't have grace that certainly at the end. And I guess that's the another punch to the face, a spiritual punch to the face for Bev. Um, we also we don't see Sturge and Uker's uh, departure off the show, but you do because when Sturge uh, after the rec center is burning and he's like, "Hey, kid, are you okay?" and Uker's like, mm. "No, I think I killed my mom," and uh, <laughs> and Sturge is like, "Oh yeah, man, I really messed up tonight too. Let's go, kid. You too, Howard." Yeah. It's like the funniest sort of it's so strange. It's yeah, such a it's such a like a heartwarming <laughs> scene of three vampires <laughs> going to die together. I don't know. Yeah, it was funny. Yeah. Um, and I do think, I mean, Mike Flanagan has talked about like he's he's been pretty open about the fact that I think this is just a, I don't think that there's an intention to do more with this. I think it all is a bit it's all self-enclosed and they're just probably going to leave it there. Of course, he did leave a little bit of a, a crack of a possibility open. Um, but I would say based on all the projects he's got going on, I kind of doubt that they would sort of revisit this. Yeah. It's as fine as a one and done. I did really, really want to see cops show up at the island a day or two later and just be like, yeah, what the what fuck? <laughs> what has happened here? And it's right. just Lisa and Warren and, I and a few other bodies. But yeah, Jesus. I was actually kind of hoping that there would be like a weird scene with like the fairy coming back mm -hmm. and that it would 
you know, one of the fairies would come back and there's just sort of like random people that, you know, discover this. Like I thought that like as they come onto the island, but that didn't happen, alas. Um, but Stuart, last time we spoke, you were really complaining about um, the the unbelievability of the rowboat on the ocean <laughs> and how oh, yeah. <laughs> basically like when Aaron and and Riley were on the boat that it just did not it looked like a calm like you know lake yep. instead of a real ocean and and I could not stop <laughs> thinking about that rewatching this for this episode yep. with the two kids on the canoe oh, yeah. and it's, it's riding it's riding so heavy in the water too there's mm-hmm. like very little hull above the water yep. and I'm like oh my god one way I had no I had no no uh, suspension of disbelief issues the first time around. And then the second time I was just like, sorry, Stuart's right. That doesn't look like the ocean. <laughs> well, it, it, it doesn't look like the ocean, but also it's extraordinarily hard to control any kind of like, like any kind of non-motorized watercraft, like just because of the tide and all of that. So I admit I was bothered by the fact that Aaron, I mean, granted, these people have grown up in this community, so you can have some idea that they might know how to do this, but it takes an enormous amount of strength to row a boat in the ocean against the tide or to, you know, come back in. Um, And, you know, I think when she comes back into the island, you can see how choppy it is, which is very different than what she had just been contending with. I don't know. So Mm -hmm. it is a little, it's a little weird. Um, Stuart, you and I had a discussion last time about where this takes place. um, And we discovered that it was filmed in Vancouver. So we were like, oh, maybe it's supposed to be like West coast, but um, just to kind of button that up, I, I it must be East Coast somewhere because the sun rises over the ocean, right? And mm. the vampires flying west to get to the mainland at the yep. end. Yeah, so it I think it was always supposed to be East Coast, filmed in like New West New England, West Coast yeah. Canada, but uh, yeah, and New Englandy, uh, and I guess they built this village in a park uh, is is for the set uh, oh, okay. is where it was built. Um, so I guess the, you know no problem with burning some of it down. I guess Canada's cool um, with that. Another, you know, it made me watching this made me also want to go back and watch a little bit more of uh watch Preacher again too, because it had some of those kinds of overtones. <laughs> um di- very different, very different, but still some of the sort of some of the the choreography and the, especially like the church scenes did definitely remind me of that as well. Mm. Um and very different ideas but kind of you know putting putting the sacred together with the very much non-sacred was was in it, i felt like there were some some homages to that in here too so um but much more cartoony in the terms of preacher did you both watch that i, I watched most of it yeah it was pretty good um, I'm looking at the uh, Rotten Tomatoes scores for Midnight Mass, and it's got 89 from critics, 76 from audience. And the the main criticism is the monologues, of course. Is <laughs> nobody's course. nobody's surprised by that. Um, but I, you know, I think the the show has been successful. I think it's it's probably, I mean, arguable. Well, I don't know. It it was definitely in the top whatever of of Netflix shows in the U.S. Maybe multiple weeks. I'm looking at. Um, Nielsen, the top 10 streaming that they posted on November 4th, Midnight Mass was number four. Mm. And, you know, it came out in October. So it's clearly been there for a while. Um, It was number two when they posted their list on October 29th. So it stayed in the top 10 for multiple weeks. 
And mm. I have to assume that this is going to do good things for Flanagan's cachet going forward. I think that um, they did a remarkably good job as well, like not really showing you what it was going to be about. I think it was maybe even a spoiler to reveal that it was a vampire yeah. show um, and that that was something that they kind of leaned into the the mystique. And I'll come back to something that we said earlier, which is that I really appreciate the way that the show was not like it was it wasn't the most fast paced show because of all the character development and and monologuing that happened. But like events did uh, proceed with a rapid clip throughout mm-hmm. each episode. And you and I and I never really felt at any given point in time like I knew where the story was heading or what was going to happen next. And I really, really loved that about the show. It was very unpredictable and and unique in that way. And I do like how, you know, I don't want to call it a slow burn because I think you're right that they do keep things moving along and they have different reveals in each episode. Um, But I also thought that they especially did a good job, especially with the Mildred Father Pruitt story, um, like we don't even see them interact or the fact that they have any meaning to each other until a little bit further in. And then that is slowly revealed, but other things move along a little bit more quickly, but that specific relationship is kind of kept, um, because of her dementia and other things like we, we don't really see the full impact of that and that this is really the biggest story, at least sort of why this all happened ultimately. Um, until the very end, um, just with them talking to each other um, and the fact that they were both suffering from dementia or some, you know, some similar cognitive decline. um, And he basically comes back to have a second chance. Um, That is a really, it it was, to me, that was pretty artfully done. um, And I wasn't totally anticipating that that was his whole reason. So I thought that that was kind of cool. Mm -hmm. But I do believe that that brings us to the end of the show, our discussion about it, although it's been delightful. Um, yeah. So let's do a quick discussion now on what we want to do next. Are we no. going to do Fear? Are we going to do World Beyond? Are we going to do um, Day of the Dead from Sci-Fi? Uh, Night Teeth? I think we might want to take a break from vampires. Night Teeth, I watched it and I wouldn't recommend it. Oh, man. (laughs) I was on a vampire's kick. Mm. Um, But um, I think we should try, maybe we should try World Beyond. Okay. What is fear? Fear the Walking Dead. Oh, I see. There's three Walking Dead shows now and more to come, right? Like more coming in 2020. We we use shorthand. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to talk about that. I was just googling I was just googling fear show and it was like MTV's fear from the early 2000s like, no, Mark Wahlberg Reese Witherspoon <laughs> wow his first <laughs> acting job Kyle this has been super enjoyable and I don't want to put any pressure on you to keep coming back but of course you're more than welcome and I know yeah. Walking Dead you're probably like uh, heck no but um, <laughs> we can keep you in the, it has keeping the loop is what it, we're doing yeah it has been wonderful to talk about this show thank you for indulging me by uh by spending so much time watching and discussing it um it's been really really fun and i will come back uh next time we talk about something that i um care about which will probably not be that i don't hate (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, no, and Kyle, I think you were the one that really firmly recommended uh, recommended that we talk about this show. So thanks so much because um, I was intending to, but it was uh, Stuart mentioned that you had liked it so much. So it really gave me the push to to want to do that. So thank you for for pointing it out that it was that it was something we should do. So. Yeah, I was watching it and I was like, man, there's a lot of reanimating in this show. If only there was a podcast <laughs> that was all about reanimating. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a second. Uh, okay. Uh, so, uh, thank you all for listening. And this is going to be, uh, we're going to probably have a break between our, between now and our next episode of two weeks or so. Uh, but when we come back, we're going to start digging into the world beyond, um, and longtime listeners of our show know that we were not super kind to season one. And so season two, we'll see how much, um, how much ground they've made up or not. Um, when we, when we start going into that, um, but so for now, I'm going to bid you to write to us. Let us know what you thought of Midnight Mass. Uh, you can reach us on Twitter at ReanimatedPCast. Our email is ReanimatedPodcast at gmail.com. And of course, our show notes are ReanimatedPodcast.com. And um, yeah, let us know what you think about Marvel's uh, new Marvel zombie show that might be coming up. There's zero to know about it yet, but the, just the premise uh, is out there. And so for me, uh, Stuart, I'm going to say thanks for listening and ta-ta. Yep. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks, Kyle, for guesting. And until next time, ciao. Until next time. <laughs> oh, one of these days, Kyle, will get you to do a real sign-off like, peace <laughs> out. Yeah. I'm Audi 5. I always have to go last, but I'm not a regular member of the show. Would you re- so. we can, I can make you go first. Do you want to go first? Right, right, right to us at the email address Stuart said that I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, it's okay, Kyle. We've been doing this for years and I still mess it up, which is why it's better when <laughs> I always get excited when Stuart takes us out because he never screws it up. <laughs> <laughs>